Welcome to episode six of the Challengers podcast. I'm here with Josh Liggett. Josh? What's up, Zach? And I'm your host, Zach Miller, uh, editor-in-chief of Tearsheet. And this is the place where we talk about digital banking. And uh, we got a lot to, to, to cover this episode. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, it's been a couple weeks. I think we took a week off. I was down. You looking for the chicken man? Looking for some new tips on, uh, you know, seeing if we had the cut. Would you, Zach, would you do a chicken holocaust for me in case there's a tip that you gave me that didn't go, that didn't go right or where the chicken man end up dying? I don't think I would, Josh, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, man. I thought we were closer than Zach. Zach. That, that's Zach. <laughs> um, speaking of close, there's no segue here. Oak North. Um, we had an article on the website. Terrible segue. Uh, we, had an epi- we had an article up on the website um, this week about Oak North launching a mortgage product. And uh, if you've been following our coverage, you're following Oak North. It's a UK-based challenger bank. Um, using a little bit of a different playbook to grow, where, where you see like the N26s and um, you know, the Revolut's really like racing to get um, banking licenses all over the world. Uh, Oak North uh, is doing a licensing play. They basically sp- spun out their technology and called it oaknorth.ai. And they're using that to license out so they don't need local banking licenses. And um, they're really not focused on getting millions and millions of consumers using their bank accounts. They're really focused on their lending product. Uh, they have a savings, uh, digital savings product as well, which they use to fund the, the lending to, to entrepreneurs and fast-growing SMBs. Um, and now they just launched a mortgage product uh, to help service that same demographic, those, those entrepreneurs that have sort of erratic income uh, or maybe have paper wealth and a lot of income. And uh, I, I think it's a smart idea. Uh, I think it's like you, you're really servicing a good customer. It's that SMB. It's the founder of that company. And now uh, there's another debt product. This is a consumer product, but it, it's the same. It's the same target. Um, what do you think about that, Josh? First of all, it's a great idea. I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before, but I was living in New York in New York as an entrepreneur, um, you know, with a, with a small startup, and uh, I, you know, I had a mortgage, and every like month, they would like, you know, I'd go into the bank, and they'd like, or if I needed to do anything or call anything, or I'd get an email saying, "Hey, refinance your house." And I would say, "I don't have typical streams of income. You're not going to allow me to get a mortgage." And they would say, "Oh, let's try it." And every month or every <laughs> two months, I know where this is ending. Yeah, <laughs> they would say, "You don't have typical income streams. You have." I'm just like, I have a savings account with X. I have you know this with Y. I have this with Z. They're like correct, but you don't. And you have a high credit rating, but you don't have a typical, you know, mortgage, uh, typical income stream coming in. So we were denying you. And I was like, great. And literally they'd be like, oh, we can give you a mortgage. And I would tell them, no, you can't. You're going to deny me because of my income stream. So this is just, this makes so much sense because uh, being in formula, which is especially after 2008, um, is so important to banks. And even, you know, to, and as we saw with invoice financing, even the factors and invoice financers also got very, very into being in formula and having everything make sure it fits fits, perfectly in like a little box. Um, But doing something like this is really solving a really important pain point. And I think it's really interesting. And if they can pull it off and actually underwrite correctly, it could be a huge, huge, huge benefit for the bank as well as, you know, people of the world. Yeah, I think it's interesting that it took the challengers to really focus on bespoke uh, financial products. So, you know, Oak North's debt product um, is also bespoke and, and, and this mortgage, you know, product is also going to be sort of custom fit for, for its borrowers. And uh, it's interesting, but like you said, there, there's a pain point there that people that have, you know, asset rich, income poor, um, 
it seems that Oak North ha- knows how to work with those people. And uh, kind of surprised me though. I, I, you know, I would have thought there'd be other SMB products first before a consumer product, but um, thinking about the product portfolio and thinking about locking in that, that borrower to the Oak North uh, ecosystem makes a lot of sense to me. And also it's, it's a really big pain point. And I think if you like, like, and like you were saying, like I was saying, so I think if you, it's a great way to acquire a customer theoretically, can I, you know, I say I'm, I'm a frustrated entrepreneur who happens to be a high net worth individual, usually, if, especially if they're qualifying for this type of mortgage, but they have atypical systems. I don't think they're necessarily going after, you know, the, the person who is out of formula just because they have awful credit. No, correct. You know, We're talking about 500,000, 500,000 pounds and above. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So this is upper class, you know, this is upper class, this is mid, upper middle, upper class, whatever you want to call classes, who knows, but this is people who have substantial funds and now you're acquiring them because you're really basically hooking them up with something that they didn't didn't necessarily have access to or couldn't do. And they may be grateful and be like, great, I want to use you for other stuff. So it's a great way to start onboarding people and, and start acquiring customers. And obviously the question is, when it comes to stuff like this is how good is their underwriting going to be? And I think that's something that is there, are there going to be hiccups at the beginning where you see like a, a, a very large default rate, um, which you see with most, you know, new lending products, if you're doing using alternative forms of under, of uh, risk assessments, that's good. That's the, that's really the, the, the unforeseen issue that I see coming forward. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens in general, uh, you know, what they're doing. And I think this will be a better segue than my first segue of the episode. But um, I think I think what big banks, um, nationals, we're talking about have done poorly is cross that threshold between consumer banking and business banking. Where, of course, they want to cross sell products, but like because the, the because the divisions are so like um, vertical and and so like they lack integration, it's hard to say. Well, I'm a great business customer. I should qualify for you know a mortgage. Um, it'd be interesting if Oak North can find a way to actually make that really smooth. I, I think they will. Um, and, and it's definitely something we'll continue to, to track here on, on the podcast. And, and speaking of big banks, um, Chase became sort of a target uh, over the past couple of weeks. Um, basically, uh, if you've been following the news, uh, the Chase social media account, which was actually run by Vayner Media, um, was accused of poor shaming. Um, it's hard to, to talk about tweets without reading them out loud, but um, so basically they, they Last week, they tweeted out, you, why is my balance so low? And the bank, the bank account, which is personified, responds back, make coffee at home. Bank account says, eat the food that's already in the fridge. Bank account says, you don't need a cab. It's only three blocks. You, I guess we'll never know. And the bank account replies, seriously? And this led off a tweet storm of just anger at the bank, right? Like, who are you to tell me how to spend my money? How do you, you know, and it just, Elizabeth Warren came out and said, you know, and blaming Chase for like, the reason customers aren't saving money is because they've lost their jobs, because they're not paying living wages. Um, Economists, you know, see stagnating wages and whatever. It just, it seemed very tone deaf. Um, And I think Chase, uh, you know, Chase kind of came out with a mea culpa, eventually saying that, um, thanks for the feedback, tweeter world. (laughs) We need to get better. Uh, yeah, get better that tone, right, Josh? I, I know you found some interesting things on that too. Yeah, it's it felt like the the South Park episode where they're like, uh, "Oh, we need to be better oh, when they're talking about like sexual harassment," you know, and like, <laughs> "Oh, and now we're cured all of a sudden because they like because we need surely. to be better." Yeah, exactly. It was. It reminds me of that, and it was. I, there definitely is a political edge to this, and I I, I want to go away. I don't really want to focus on that because Same. we tried not to stay political. 
Um, but I think this is the this is sort of like a response that I think the general public has had since the bailouts that happened of what was done with the money and and has anything changed since then. And that's why I think this sort of is bubbling over, which is probably a larger idea in America. But again, like don't really want to focus on that. Would rather get into like what's actually going on. So the first thing I saw, you know, obviously it's, it's I agree. It was in not necessarily the best way to express that. Um, Wu-Tang Financial, who is one of the greatest tweeting, you know, greatest Twitter accounts in the world. Tweeterers, I think it's the technical T- term. Tweeter, Tweeterai, Tweeterai. <laughs> so they were talking about, they, they we tweeted uh, somebody, a guy, Jeremy Horf, Horfedal, who was talking about, you know, white bread per pound in, 1990, in 1977 was four, 40 cents a pound. 2019 was um, $1.33 which is a 221 per, 229% increase. And then median personal income in 1977 was 9,300. And 2017 is three, uh, 35,000, which is a 278% increase. So from him, from his understanding is that it's not that bread is six times as expensive and wages are not, it's rather 15% lower rel- to relative income, mm-hmm. which is sort of the, the argument against when you get into deeper financials. I don't think that changes the fact that many people think that they're being underpaid. Um, you know, and that this tweet was sort of, you know, came in and, and made feel made people feel bad, um, you know, about and, and got upset at Chase. But not to keep going, but what I think this sort of un- underlies is, and the bigger idea is educating people about um, about finances and about, you know, how, how can you best tell people uh, how to spend their money or how to save their money. And I, I had the privilege of speaking to Dan Ariely, uh, this week, who's somebody who publicly, um, you know, has been saying many times about discussing how are you supposed to educate, uh, you know, people with uh, regarding financial information and regarding uh, regarding uh, uh, saving money or anything like that. And the one thing that is known that doesn't work is just like trying to actually teach them and doing stuff like what Chase has done. <laughs> so that like that stuff doesn't work. It when you tell somebody like, hey, you know don't buy a latte. They're just, they're going to like push back immediately and be like, well, I want to buy a latte. This is America. You know, I want to buy a latte. I have money. I want to do whatever I want. So you have to go about it a different way. Right. And that's a behavioral sort of approach that that Ariely has helped to to make popular. And I I think what's interesting here is just forget the political stuff, but it just taps into sort of this pent up um, anger at banks. Right. So like there was also a fast, one of the reporters, Kale Weissman at, uh, at Fast Company also tweeted out, Oh, that's a cool tweet, you know, coming from a bank that's worth $400 billion that charges anywhere from, you know, five two fifty to $5 for individual ATM fees and $34 per overdraft, both of which taxes on poor people. Again, you know, staying away from the economics, staying away from the politics, there's just people don't like banks, right? And and banks coming out trying to tell people what to do with their money. It's, it's like it also plays into sort of that backlash against hustle porn and the Gary Vaynerchuk actually um, sort of, you know, what this idea that if you just work harder, you can make it. And people are starting to say, like, I don't feel that that's true anymore. Whether it is or not, I don't, is, is beyond the purview of our discussion here. But um, I, I think you're right. Like, banks have to find a better way to do it than just hitting people over the head with it. Yeah, and that's what – that's this is why there was Occupy Wall Street. This is why there was – there's a there's a push in America and people want socialism. This Maybe. I don't know about that one. But this is why – challenger banks are happening is because people don't like the way their banks treat them. And that it's, it's not surprising that something like this happened because I mean, it is surprising because there's like a PR company that did this and it's pretty, pretty 
you know, rough. Well, these people are talking about it, right? So it's successful. Yeah, you know, listen, yeah. you know, just talk about the Apple card more, you know, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, so, but yeah, but seriously, it's, it, it's just, this is not the way this is this type of behavior and this type of sort of, Oh, well, if you didn't just buy that latte, you would be a, Oh, you, you want to know why I'm a, rich and retiring know, with I'm lots of money. Yeah, it's because I didn't buy lattes ever. It's like, F you. You know, that's like what the general response would be. It may be true. And I don't know if it's true or if it's not true. And if the reason why, you know, someone's going to retire wealthy is because they, you know, saved money and put it in a CD or, or, or an ETF. And that money went to buy their retirement house that they spent on latte money. They didn't spend on latte money. Like, I don't think, I don't, I don't know who, who does know. But, um, but the, way you're, the way you don't get people to save money is by telling them, you would be rich if you didn't spend a latte. It is money on a latte. Like that's so, just not so speaking on the latte, um, Sally Krauchek, who's the old, old school, um, you know, banker, uh, come, you know, new school, uh, entrepreneur, fintech entrepreneur founded Elvest, which is really a platform, uh, that helps target, uh, women in terms of their investing and their needs and their, their educational communication needs, uh, wrote an article just buy the effing latte. Um, uh, and, you know, it, it sort of speaks to this brewing trend. See the, uh, the pun in that. I like uh, that's in, a good pun. In personal finance mansplaining, and so um, she she wrote a sort of an angry piece on 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 fast company as well. Uh, also taking aim at a, at a new personal finance book that came out called The Latte Factor. So we're you know money the, the coffee seems to play a, a sort of a, a, cut, a theme that cuts through a lot of these discussions where, you know, it's sort of this apocryphal story of this woman waiting in line at a Starbucks and speaking to a barista who's enlightened financially and tells her, you know, if she just didn't spend money on, on the daily latte, she'd be rich. Um, and so, you know, from, from Crouchick's standpoint, she, you know, she, she communicates that she feels as a society we've masculinized money. Uh, and not only that, you know, women have been mansplained to tell them how to do stuff. Um, they're sort of, you know, taught to be careful, but with money and save it. Um, but the boys are taught to pursue money and to grow it. And like sort of there's only one side kind of, again, you know, the sexes are, we, we don't need to get into the political ramifications of this. But I think um, it's interesting to see, like, especially the fact that Elvis exists, which is really a platform that targets money. And there are a few other examples, you know, um, that targets women, excuse me. Uh, you know, are we going to have gender segregated, you know, investment platforms and banks? I don't know if that makes sense long term, but but it does point to the need that um, that certain parts of population uh, aren't getting what they're what they need or what they want from from the the options out there in the market. Can we call it bank splaining? Because I think it's like I like that. I think we've got to because it really has nothing to do with gender it just has, it has nothing to do with gender it's more the institutional voice yeah it's yeah. more of like a bank is like because i would be pissed off if i was a guy and i was working my ass off you know nine to five to save money not making barely making ends meet not saving anything i'm gonna have to work until i'm 80 years old and a bank told me this it would piss me the hell off like it would, it would it right would it's not your daily bank. latte that's not going to get you to be you know have three million dollars in the bank after after a long career you know yeah so i, I do i yeah, no, a hundred percent. I I do think that this is a the behavioral side is really important in this, and I think it's and like what you were saying is that banks have to really understand how to better talk to their customers in order to encourage them to save in order, in order them to be more responsible. It could be that not that buying the latte one day a week versus six days a week maybe makes you feel makes well, you feel better. Whatever. Yeah. But how about this? I don't even think they need to talk about it. I think the products, and that's what you see from the from the challengers 
they're not talking about it per se. It's just that they built products that help people do it. It's, it's targeting the behavioral aspect, right? So Correct. whether it's whether it's stash and, and rounding up and sort of doing passive investing um, and acorns, they, they really saw like, hey, let's build a product to get people to, the investing part is, is, is less critical as opposed to focusing on making sure people are in the habit or automating the savings process so that they have money to invest in ultimately. And so you look at the, you look at the challenger banks across the board, they built these products that really get people to do that. Yeah, and I think it's the challengers that are having to do that. I think a big issue is that, and this is more of like a general moving outside sort of of the banks and the challengers, that from a younger age, there needs to be a better education in terms of personal finance. Like I'm mm -hmm. an advocate of at the high school level having a personal finance course. Um, like that's because I think that helps you make a decision based that, you know, in terms of college, should I go to college? If I do go to college, what should I major in? You know, understanding how to balance the checkbook understanding i mean even though you don't really need to balance your checkbook anymore it's all digital but like just the, the concept, concept of yeah. yeah the concept of how do i make sure i'm not bleeding money at the end of every month you know, all these different things i think it's it's something that you know my buddies and i have spoken about the of these even got people who graduate with finance degrees from like tier one universities they don't understand personal finance they know how to like do an irr and they can do like all this other fancy excel macro stuff but they don't know how to freaking balance their checkbook you know, or the understanding of personal finance. And I think that's like a much bigger issue. And I think that's what these, uh, what a lot of the startups are trying to solve in, is this, is this giant issue that's going on in the world. Also, um, by the way, is it, yeah. is it not interesting that Game of Thrones leaves a coffee cup in their episode and now the coffee cup has become the center of the financial world? Is that like a, is that sort of mm, like a- You just uh, hide our entire- Illuminati, podcast, all the episodes together in that <laughs> Illumin one. Yeah, Illuminati, sort of like you know whatever the everyone runs everything. Was it planted? I don't know. Who knows? Interesting. Um, so just you know, we have a couple more things we want to hit on before we close out this episode. Um, these are more quick, just sort of news items. Um, Wired, which helped to break the article, the the, the the which published a negative article two months ago on about Revolut and their sort of aggressive, onerous, like hiring practices is still after Revolut. They, they just published a, a follow-up article uh, last week. Um, they got leaked internal messages that showed the senior staff still sort of attacking critics of the, of, of the hiring processes. Um, and the job applicants still complain um, of the onerous recruitment process. And when we say onerous, I think what was really happening was um, it, there, was a, there was sort of a focus internally that if you're going to work for, for Revolut, we want to see you hustle. Now, and not just hustle, we want to see if you can bring in new new customers because that's what we focused on. And so like before you ever got a job as part of that, the hiring process, you had to go out and sort of sign up your friends and family to, to the platform. Good it idea if you're, if you're a hiring company, right, to get people like sort of promoting you. Maybe it's asking too much. I don't know. But, um, you know, Revolut is still sort of on its heels as, you know, it even, you know, there's still talk of them perhaps losing their European banking license with some of the stuff that's going on in Lithuania. There's some pushback there. Um, Revolut's just sort of, it's still in the storm. It has to find its way out. Reminds me a little bit of like a uh, boiler room when they made people come in and then like yep. when you actually started working there, which is that's like, how we got jobs. I mean, it just, yeah, that's not the world yeah. today. It's not the world no. today. Well, there, I think there's, I think there will, you, you could pay somebody a little bit and be like, Hey, you're on trial basis until you can really bring some people in. I think if you had that type of agreement, it might be a little, you know, a little better, but like you have a contract and, you know, and, and you tell them, Hey, you got to, uh, you got to, you have like a three month trial where if you kill it, then we'll give you a job. But if not, you're gone. That is like 
to me, that wouldn't bother me if I was somebody looking for a job. Like, great, I want to prove myself and I want to show you how much I rock. And then, you know, you can promote me and I can show you how much of an asset that I am. But uh, if you're not hiring somebody, you're making them do all these things. That's like a little rough. Right. I, I think this is a, this is a fine though. I mean, I don't think this is a egregious enough problem, I think, to bring the bank down clearly. Um, but, but it's, it's interesting sort of that negative PR loop. Um, and, and, and they're going after Revolut, right? And, and, yeah. and we'll see, I assume the same will happen as, as all these brands now expand internationally, like the all, the all, there's a maturation process they have to do with their processes, their marketing, their PR. Um, Revolut's was sort of, you know, jumped in and, and sort of is dealing with that as a pioneer, um, but N26 and, and Monzo and Muniz, they'll all, they'll all deal with these things. Yeah. Speaking of Muniz, um, we also, we had a quick article on Tearsheet this week. Um, they hit an important uh, milestone in their maturation process. So also UK Challenger Bank, uh, they hit 1 million customers. And, uh, you know, whether that number means anything, I think part of, the, part of the discussion in the industry is like, great, all these companies are opening up millions of bank accounts, but are people really using them? And, and they, there hasn't been enough data released from any of these companies to get that feeling. Um, Moniz did in this, in, in this press release about hitting the 1 million customer mark, uh, they maintain that 70% of the incoming funds that it sees uh, are from salary payments, meaning people are using it to directly deposit their salary. Now that's a weird number because maybe there's no money coming in, so 70% of nothing is is, is not a big deal. But um, the fact is, you know, th- clearly there are people using this um, as a primary bank account, and uh, th- that that's one of the things I think for this industry to succeed. It's very easy. You you spoke about this on a previous podcast, Josh. But like about Chime, yeah, yeah. All, the friction of opening an account has been taken away, so it's very easy to open it. But uh, the the other side of that is that because it's so easy to open, I mean, I may not actually use it. I may not actually, um, it may not become my primary account. Um, in which case, like it's really worthless to everybody involved. So unless you could say the data is worth something, if there's some type of data play there, but at the end of the day, like, you know, for, for these challenger banks to, to displace the traditional banks, we'll need to see like real account numbers, um, real deposit numbers behind those account numbers. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, did I bore you, Josh? No, it's just like <laughs> we talked about this. If, I know. If you're listening, go listen yeah. to go listen to the Chime podcast where we basically <laughs> said Chime's like we opened ten thousand bank accounts. We're like, great. What's your what's your deposits? And they're like, uh, you know, like, yeah. It's it, are you using primary versus secondary versus checking it out versus mm-hmm. dipping your toe in the water? It's just all these numbers to me are are very nice. They're vanity numbers until you actually get into showing real metrics. Agreed. Good point. And uh, I think the last two points we wanted to hit, Monzo, um, there was an article in, in one of the UK papers that um, it, Monzo's, I guess, gearing up for a US launch. Um, they, like everyone else that's coming from outside the US, uh, doesn't yet have a banking license. And um, the article, I guess, speculated that they'll start with sort of a debit card as, as, as they did um, in, in the UK. Um, interesting that everybody's you know, focused on coming to the US, yet um, the U.S. has been very slow, even with even with like Vero money, uh, in terms of actually uh, giving out uh, new banking licenses. So um, I, everybody's over a year late in terms of receiving those licenses, and so I, there's sort of a waiting game right now. I think to see whether they actually will get these licenses. And and the last I think po- data point we just wanted to hit on was N26, uh, German, you know, Berlin-based. Uh, Challenger Bank is getting ready to launch in Brazil. Brazil obviously has become a, a very popular market. 
um, Mexico as well. Um, so like Nubank is moving to Mexico. Um, N26 is getting ready to launch in Brazil. And so there's a lot of activity uh, internationally and globally now uh, for some of these local um, challenger banks that are now growing into and, and aspire to become global brands. I think the N26 Brazil thing is really interesting because they're not just, they're going head to head with Nubank, which is fine, but they're not just going head to head. They're going into Nubank's kitchen. You know, yeah. they're going to, they're, they're sitting they're, down and making a sandwich. Yeah. They're like, yeah. and you, you know, you, you do have some Brazilian, you know, expertise, you know, and you do know a little bit about, you know, the South American from some, from some work experience, you know, you do know, you do know about that area a little bit. Um, but it's just crazy that they choose to go after Nubank in Brazil be like if new banks like, Hey, we're going to Germany and we're going to open up a branch there. It's just, it's surprising that that's where, you know, they chose to open. It's a little, it's just, it's interesting. It could be maybe, maybe it's easier because like you were saying that the U S has been a little slow because of regulations and because of licenses, the amount of people and the places, maybe Brazil might be a little easier because there's already a roadmap and everyone knows what to do, but it's still, it's a, it's a bold move. I, I think. I totally agree with that. And I, I think we'll end on the point that, you know, I don't think we know how all this will play out, um, whether challenger banks ultimately will be successful building these global brands profitably. Um, but I do think, uh, and this is, I just, I, I want to emphasize this. I think the, the, the real recipient of all the benefits of this, of this global um, competition right now is the end consumer. Um, you know, if you're, if you're sitting in Brazil and you have one digital banking option, now you have another. Um, and so I think at the end of the day, more options uh, is ultimately better for the end consumer. 100%. If that needed to be st stated. I don't know if it needed to be stated. I'm not sure if it was 100% that, you know, the end consumer is benefiting from moving away from like really high fees at banks. 100%. <laughs> this is true. Um, this is so true. with that, I think, I think we'll bring this to, to a close. Um, thanks again for spending wasting or spending some of your valuable time uh, with Josh and I on the, uh, with Josh and me on the Challengers Bank podcast sponsored by Tearsheet and uh, hope you enjoyed the content and we'll check you again soon. See ya. Enjoy.